Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy and I am pleased to bring to you Chapter 13 of Sefer Eov, Perak Yud Gimel. In Chapter 12, Eov explained that it's obvious to anyone who has any kind of life experience that the wicked succeed in spite of, or perhaps because of, their wickedness. And since God is in control of all things, then he is in control of this injustice as well. Therefore, the wisdom of his friends that God always acts in ways that are just and that things always work out for the righteous in the end are patently untrue, or at least it goes against one's observable experience. So now he returns to castigate his friends for their false arguments. Behold, behold, all of this, that is this litany of things which he described in the last chapter, the way the world works and the way that God brings down the mighty, all this my eye has seen, my ear has heard it and has understood it. Again, the idea is just look around you and see what your eyes and your ears tell you about how the world works. Now, Eov focused on the power of God to bring down the mighty, and really none of that says that God is unjust. In fact, uh, the fact that God brings down the leaders and the powerful is, as I mentioned, a quotation. Eov directly quoted Psalm 107, which there is presented as a good thing, because by bringing down the princes and the leaders, it makes way for the lowly and the deserving to rise up and get their due. But Eov sees the negative in it since he sees that there's really no difference, uh, which he stated before. Both the wicked and the uh, and the non-wicked are treated the same. And now he returns to that idea of his equality vis-a-vis his friends. What you know, I know too. I don't come short of the mark when compared to you. As an aside, as you've no doubt noticed, by the way, I sometimes try for a little translation, but sometimes my poetic abilities aren't strong enough to be able to translate uh, the Hebrew or Aramaic words directly into English and do the book justice, so therefore I paraphrase and slang it up a bit in an attempt to convey the meaning. So please forgive me for taking liberties uh, in trying to uh, convey the sense of the text, sometimes with a certain amount of paraphrasing. Anyway, now getting back to the book, Eov closes the point that he started with in the previous chapter, which is he is as smart as and as knowledgeable as they are. But now he explains in what way he is different from them. Ulam ani el shaday adaber v'hocheach el el echpatz. Notice a lot of the I, I, I to contrast with they, they, they. However, I, I will speak to Shaddai, to God. It is with a, it is a dispute with him that I desire. Again, the word hocheach is in the legal sense. Uh, which is, I want to sue God. I want to take God to court. And now that Eov has returned to his definition of, uh, um, that, that is now that he's kind of returned to his, the way he views everything that's been going on between him and God and him and his friend as essentially a court case, then in that framework of a court case, he accuses them of one of the worst sins, of a kind of a Ten Commandment level sin, which is dishonesty in a court. 
Vulam atem tofle shake, rofe elil kulachem, me tain hacharesh tacharishun utihilachem le chokma. But you are false healers, you are pseudo doctors. If you would only shut up, alright, that's a little bit of a slang, but it's the basic sense of hacharesh tacharishun. If you would only shut up, then maybe you would gain some wisdom. Remember in chapter 11, Sofar accused Eov of silencing people with his false words. There's that word Yacharish. So Eov is repeating the word Yacharishun, but you should be Tacharishun. That is, he's saying, Halavai, I wish my words had shut you up and that maybe you would come to learn something. So listen now to my dispute and pay attention to the arguments from my lips. And I think Eov really means two things here. In one sense, he means be quiet and listen to my legal tochacha, that is my court case against God. But the second thing I think he means is tochacha in a non-legal sense, which is a rebuke or a castigation against them, not against God, for their very poor showing as uh, visitors in their job of comforting. Will you speak falsely about God? Regarding him, uh, will you speak deceit? The specific falsehoods and deceit will that it will be specified in the next verse. In verse eight, we'll see that it's specifically the falsehoods that one conveys in a court in, in a courtroom drama. Will you give him preference? Literally, will you raise his face? That it was, will you will you treat his presence uh, higher than it deserves? Will you fight this case for God? This reference, to carry one's face, is a direct reference to the biblical injunction that a judge cannot pre- be prejudiced in favor of a friend or of a wealthy person or a powerful or famous person that comes into his court. The verse in Devarim chapter 16 warns us, or actually commands us, lo mishpat, lo takir panim, lo that is, a judge cannot corrupt the law, he shall not recognize a face, takir panim, and he shall not take bribes, that is, he cannot allow his justice to be anything else than completely objective. And then, repeating about God's absolute objectivity, or saying about God's absolute objectivity, in chapter, in, in the same book, in Devarim, but chapter 10, it says that God, lo he will not give preference, he will not raise up a face or recognize a face, he will not take a bribe. So there's that injunction, essentially an injunction to prejudice oneself or give preference uh, because you recognize the wealth or power of somebody in a court case. So Eov essentially is accusing them of being prejudicial, of dishonestly taking God's side in this dispute. And it's ironic because in, in in their desire to justify God in Eov's suffering, they ironically break one of God's most fundamental commandments, which is not to be prejudiced and to be completely objective when you are judging a court case. Hatov ki chem im katel that is based on your sins of prejudicial judgments. Wouldn't it be better if he, if God, investigated you? That is not me, and then you would have to try your mockery and your dishonesty with. Him as you've been doing with a person, i.e., as you've been doing with me. That is, let God take you to court. Let's see you try lying to Him like you've been lying to me. We've seen that Eov has accused them not really of essentially before. In a few chapters ago, he said he wasn't sure that they really thought he was guilty at all. But in their fear of God, 
Tiru chatat vatirau, you saw the fear and you were afraid. That is in his fear that God would ruin them, they were low, they were false to him, they accused him essentially in order to pacify God. But now he takes it further and says that not only is it a sin, but they will be ruined because of it, that they will be ruined because of it. Hocheach yochiach etchem and there's that word uh, to, to lift up one's face again. He will surely rebuke you, and then you won't be able to lift up your faces even in private. And here I'm translating it uh, literally. Because so, if you remember, Eov said that his face was so miserable that from all of his ruin and his troubles that he couldn't lift his face in public. So they will be so ashamed that even there, even in private, they won't be able to lift up their face. Or perhaps... Panim Tisa'un means in the same legal sense of not being prejudicial. And he's saying that if you do this, im baseter panim tisa'un, if you allow yourself to prejudice yourself for God, then hochiach yochiach he will punish you, he will rebuke you. Uh, Eov is, I think, sure that the rebuke will come to them because Eov's primary driving ethic is honesty at all costs. And he does not believe that God will let dishonesty go unpunished, which is what will happen to them, to his friends, for being dishonest. Isn't it true that his rising up against you that is uh, will terrify you and his fear will fall upon you? And note the play over and over in this chapter on the word se'et, se'et panim, and his lifting up will, will cause you to cower in fear. Uh, and uh, just an over and over this idea of uh, of se'et in all of its meanings, but getting back to that essential idea of one who acts prejudicially in court and corrupts a court system with with lies and dishonesty, and therefore deserves the most severe kind of punishment. It's a difficult pasuk. So Eov may be referring to zichronechem, meaning all of the things that they mentioned to him are mishle. They were parables of ashes because they were using all of these parables and metaphors and all of them were complete garbage. But what he actually may mean was that um, he may be meaning not zichroneichem, which means the things that you told me, but your memories in the future. So try this for the translation. The memory of you will be no greater than parables about ashes. And mashal could also mean destruction. So it may mean that the memory of you will be like ashes that are left from a ruin. You will be piled up like clay is piled up. So the second part of the verse really seems to be saying that the whole thing is talking about their future death and punishment and that their graves will only be recognizable through telltale mounds of clay to mark its location. That is, no uh, no stone will mark their their presence. Getting back to his earlier point uh, that they should really shut up. Again, notice the 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 the, um, the emphasis on ani ani ani. Let me do what I need to do because it is much more just than what you have been doing. So, getting back to the verse, so stop talking at me and let me speak, and whatever will happen, whatever will happen will happen. Um, and what he's saying is, I know I'm taking a risk. It's what, you think you have to tell me that I'm taking a risk in accusing God of injustice? But what could I do? I have to say what I believe is true. Alma esav 
Why should I carry, and notice again the word esa, why should I carry my flesh between my teeth? What I need to do, that is rather, what I need to do is I will place my hand in my, my life, my, my soul, my, I will place myself in my hands. And I think the sense here, the images here, is how long am I going to chomp down on my skin, uh, the way a person bites on their finger or on their hand in order to keep themselves from yelling out. Instead, he frees his hand from his mouth and he takes his life into his hands since he knows that by opening his mouth against God, he risks life. He knows that the safer course is to bite down hard, or bite the bullet, so to speak, and bite down on his finger and not cry out against God. But based on his, his nature, um, he feels compelled to say what he feels. Say what he believes is true. Even if he kills me, and this is a very tricky verse. Uh, first of all, because it's not clear whether the word is lo lamed aleph, which means no or don't, and or lo, which means I won't yachel. I'm not going to translate that word yachel yet. Or lamid vav, to him I yachel, I will yachel. And also the word yachel is tricky because it can mean to hope or to wait, but it could also mean to petition or to pray. And the reason why we don't know whether lo is lamid aleph, no, or lo is lamid vav to him is because um, uh, in the text, in the books, uh, it appears both ways. One is what's called a kritiv, one is written that way, and one is a kri, which means it should be read that way. But we're really not sure which one is the authoritative way. Uh, so maybe it can mean, even if he will kill me, to him I will hope, I will put my faith in him. Or maybe it means, to him I will pray. Or maybe if Lamed Aleph means no, it means, even if he will kill me and I will have no hope, I will continue to explain my cause. I will take my court case to him, directly to him. And the next verse, verse 16, I think may fit better a little bit with um, the words Lamed Vav, in him I will hope, because it says, He will be a savior to me. He will save me. Why? Because a blasphemer cannot come before him, which means if you're honest before him, as long as you tell the truth and what you believe, then God will allow you to speak and be heard. Only people who are dishonest, chanef, irreligious, if they're hypocritical, if they're liars, only they are rejected by God, even though they, God even won't let him approach the bench. So I think he may be referring to his visitors, to Eliphaz, to Bildad, uh, 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 to so far that their day will come uh, and God will punish them because of their dishonesty. But it's his very honesty which allows him to be saved in court even though there's no doubt that he is being incredibly chutzpahdik and talking out against God. And now back to the case. Shimu He turns to his friends and he says, listen carefully to my words and let the expl- let my explanations into your ears. I see now that I have presented my case and I know that I will be justified. I know that I will win this case. Who will fight with me? That is, who will hear my case? And if I don't get my case heard now, I will fall silent and die. And it's a demand. It's a chutzpah command. And it's saying, I think that God, I am saying, God must take up my case and hear what I'm trying to say. And now that he's challenged God to take up his case, he turns away from his friends and he speaks directly to God in the second person. 
But first he has two conditions, preconditions for the case. Don't do two things to me and I'll be able to not hide from your presence. One, distance your hand from me. And two, don't terrify me with your fear, with your palpable presence, with your, with your, the fear that you're sending my way. As Eov said before, previously, uh, um, how can someone make a case for himself? How can someone stand up and make a case for himself when you know that you're, that you're quaking in fear and trembling in pain, uh, from the punishments that you're currently uh, going through. So Eov is asking that God should let up a little bit for this court case physically. He should let up in order for Eov to be able to um, to get a fair shot in court. So either you call out and I'll respond, or I'll speak and you respond to me. Eov is happy to be playing either the white pieces or the black pieces in this legal chess match, as long as the, both sides, him and God, are there playing together. So Eov decides to play his white and he opens up the case and he challenges God. How many iniquities and sins do I have? Let me know what my transgressions and my sins are. Which is the same question in a sense that he asked his friends. But in their case, they asserted that he was a sinner. So he said, prove it. But God hasn't spoken at all. But he, but what God has done is he's brought ruination. He's punished Job. Or, or at least done things which seem like a punishment. So if it's due to his sins, then Eov, then Eov is saying correctly so, that if this is a court case, you need to document the sins, this, the crime, at the very outside, outset before you can move on to the punishments. Lama fanecha tastir lach. Why do you hide your face and treat me like your enemy. And I think that there are three very interesting points being made here in this very short verse, the verse 24. One, I am not your enemy. I am a loyal servant. I'm a believer. So why do you treat me as if I was your enemy? Second, I think Eov is frustrated, as we'll see towards the end of the book. His, one of his frustrations is an essential frustration that all mankind has. We as well. God is all but invisible, undetectable in a physical, palpable sense. We can only detect him through world events or through prophecy if we're lucky enough to get it. Of course, we don't get it directly. We get it through the books of prophecy. Of course, we have to read those books and believe those books. But Eov had no prophecy whatsoever, and all he could see were world events which did not speak about God's justice. It's the fact that God is transcendent, completely transcendent and beyond human understanding is as frustrating to Eov as it is, in my opinion, frustrating to every thinking spiritual person. So one solution, and it's a solution that Judaism rejects or, sh- or, or mainstream Judaism rejects, is to turn God into something substantial, to create some kind of physical entity, uh, whether it's a, a person or a thing which takes the place of God. And this, but this idea is rejected by all biblical thought and by mainstream Judaism. And therefore, what we're left with in mainstream Judaism is a God that you can't see, you can't measure, you can't touch, you can't feel, you can't smell, who doesn't bleed. And that's essentially what we have to work with. And it is a frustration. It's a frustration to us and it's a frustration to Eo. 
Finally, the third idea is, is a little play on words. Eov's name is Eov, but now he's saying, why am I an Oyev, spelled very similarly, just with a mix-up of the letters. And what he may be saying is, just like sometimes people are defined by their names, why are you defining me as an Oyev rather than an Eov? Meaning, why is my fate from birth seem to be that I must suffer? And now he returns to an already stated argument, which is, why does man deserve this kind of level of attention and punishment? Will you squash a blowing leaf? Will you pursue a stalk of dry hay? Earlier, Eov wanted to know why God was treating him like a supernatural being. Am I a tanin that you should put me in a mishmar? Uh, but here, it's kind of a different approach, similar but different. He says that man is not is fleeting, is inconsequential, like a piece of hay floating in the wind. And therefore he deserves no attention and should be left alone. That you should write bitter judgments, or maybe a judgment that I rebelled, write these judgments against me, and that you should make me inherent, inherit Torisheni, uh, which means to pay for the iniquities of my youth. Now, I'm not sure exactly what Eov means here. Does he mean that when he speaks about the sins of his youth, does he mean the sins that one does before one realizes that they're bad, either because one is lack of aware because of a very young age of being a child, or maybe one is aware because one hasn't been educated yet that something is right or wrong, and therefore one can't be held responsible for it? Or may, maybe Eov means that he may have sinned in the past, but since he atoned for them, they, shouldn't, they should no longer be on the block, they shouldn't be on the table. So it's not clear to me exactly what he means, but let's continue on with the next verse. In any event, that if God does pay attention to these sins, vatasem basad raglai v'tishmor kol orchotai al shorshei raglai titchaka. Will you place my feet in the stocks in the stockade? Will you guard every step I take? And will you make impressions from the bones or from the roots of my feet? The image here is of a prisoner who can only pace back and forth and back and forth because he's shackled by the ankle to the stockade, and then in his pacing, it carves out impressions in the ground. He kind of digs his own pit, if you will. And he, that is man, that is me, Eov, is like a rotting thing that dries up. It's like a cloak that moths have eaten. And perhaps what Eov, the metaphor that Eov is trying to present here with the picture of the rotted shirt and the, and the, the, the rotted wood or the shirts being eaten by moths, maybe the metaphor is not so much that man is so insignificant that God should not care to punish him, but that in man's insignificance that his very action should not be considered punishable any more than the sin of a moth-eating shirt for being eaten or for the moth that, eat, that, that eats it. It's such an insignificant thing. You don't get angry at a moth for eating a shirt. Or, and you don't get angry at a leaf because it detached from a tree and blew around. So what he might be saying is that man's actions within the context of being insignificant man should hardly rate his sins at, at all. But either way, in chapter 14, Eov will continue to try to impress upon God the insignificance of man and therefore the fact that the punishments are wholly undeserved.